Hello and welcome back to the Pediatric Pocus Podcast. I'm Tom Attei. I love the ultrasound guided IV. It's probably the most impactful way we use ultrasound in our ER. The literature tells us it increases first attempt success, it decreases time, it decreases complications, and plus, they're just so much fun. And so wouldn't it be awesome if we could do the same with lumbar puncture? We know that in adults, ultrasound can be helpful, especially in those trickier patients with high BMIs, and that's the population where I most commonly see people pull out the ultrasound. But what about for infants? Does using ultrasound improve success rates for infant LPs? Who should consider using it? And what are you even looking for when you do your ultrasound? On the show today, we'll review one of the very few randomized controlled trials looking at ultrasound use during infant lumbar puncture. Joining me today is Dr. Jeffrey Neal from Boston Children's Hospital. He is the first author on the effect of bedside ultrasonographic skin marking on infant lumbar puncture success, a randomized controlled trial that was published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Neal. Thank you for having me. So how did you decide to study ultrasound-guided lumbar punctures on infants? Usually when I am asked to do an ultrasound in the emergency department for an LP, it's in the situation of a Hail Mary, where they have tried multiple times, they're using a 5-inch spinal needle because the patient is really obese, they're having difficulty finding landmarks, but I've never been asked to do an ultrasound on an infant. Why did you choose this population? Um, so I think over the past several years, the exposure to pediatric lumbar puncture for our trainees has sort of decreased dramatically due to better immunizations, the advent of procalcitonin. When I was a first-year fellow at Boston, febrile infants got a full sepsis workup until 90 days of age. But over the last couple of years, we've dropped that down to 30 days. And so residents overall are just not getting the practice needed to be good at this vital procedure. One of uh, the recent studies that came out of Columbia found that residents perform an average of about a dozen infant LPs throughout their residency, with the uh, success rates ranging anywhere from 25% to 50%. And if you have an unsuccessful or traumatic LP, you may risk unnecessary hospitalization, antibiotics, or repeat procedures. So this study was really aimed at increasing that baseline success rate even a little bit. And were you already using ultrasound? Yeah, so I had uh, done some ultrasound work with one of my mentors at uh, CHOP, where I did my residency, Dr. Aaron Chen, um, and I really had gotten interested in ultrasound, and so we were looking at a project to do, and this is one of the ideas that came up when we had looked at sort of our baseline success rates, which weren't that great. Did you choose infants because uh, they lend themselves to better ultrasound, or was it just because we are so bad at it and uh, we don't get enough experience? So I think it's definitely one of the prominent populations that we do lumbar puncture in, in pediatrics in general. Uh, and I think that practitioners don't really think of infants as typical candidates for pre-lumbar puncture ultrasound. But I also don't think that people realize how small the subarachnoid space is in newborns. And the ultrasound in an infant really allows you to do two important things for the procedure. So one, you can mark the conus, which is very easily visualized in infants as opposed to older children, just because of less soft tissue, less bony mineralization. And then it also allows you to mark a safe subarachnoid space that gives you the better chance of success. And how did you design it? So it was a prospective randomized controlled trial that involved infants that came to our ED that were less than six months of age that were getting a lumbar puncture. And so they were randomized to either a traditional lumbar puncture arm 
where the practitioner would go perform the LP after palpation or an ultrasonography assisted lumbar puncture arm in which they would get an ultrasound assisted marking prior to the performance of the LP. Oh, that's interesting. So the people who were doing the lumbar puncture were not the same as the people who were actually doing the ultrasound. And so if you were doing the lumbar puncture, what did you see or what data was given to you? Yeah, so um, the things that we reported to the practitioners was the end of the conus, which was marked with a, a vertical line, as well as the crosshairs that sort of marked the intervertebral space that they were expected to go to for their first attempt. Essentially, we were trying to mark both longitudinally for the intervertebral space um, and then transversely to mark the midline. And then we also gave them the additional information of the depth to the space to give them an idea of how far the needle needed to go in. Man, that is such a cool measurement because I don't think that you can get that in adults once the vertebra start to calcify. And so how do you use that in your practice, the distance there? Yeah, so I think one of the things that when I'm teaching my trainees and residents and doing LP is to have an expectation of how small that space, how small that distance is to get to the subarachnoid space. And I think, especially with infants, residents are always surprised when you ask them to pull the needle out and they see how little the needle went in to get to the subarachnoid space. So I think that depth measurement is very vital to your success. Especially because you uh, have a lot of venous plexus that's surrounding the subarachnoid space. And once you puncture and cause a traumatic tap, your chance of getting blood and repeat taps are also higher. Right. And who actually performed the ultrasounds? The three main people that did the ultrasounds were myself, Aaron Chen, who's one of my research mentors and currently the director of emergency ultrasound at CHOP in Philadelphia, And then we also had a medical student who only performed about five of the total scans. And the sonographer was never the person who was performing the LP. I believe there may have been one or two cases where myself or Dr. Chen were the sort of rescuing uh, practitioner if the trainee wasn't successful initially. Gotcha. So the three of you would go in and do the ultrasound and then turn it over to whoever was going to do the lumbar puncture. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we would go in, we would mark with the ultrasound, and then uh, the practitioner would apply the beta design and perform the procedure after the marking had been performed. And so the few times that I've done this in the past, uh, we go in and we mark the landmarks with the ultrasound and a pen. And inevitably, whenever we go to do the actual lumbar puncture and we get sterile, we wipe it with betadine and everything smears everywhere and it's just a chaotic mess. Was that a problem for you guys? No. So uh, we used a uh, surgical skin marking pen. So in most cases, the marker was not removed by the betadine. Um, and then how much training did uh, your sonographers, I guess if, uh, if it was yourself and Dr. Chen, um, at least Dr. Chen had a lot of training, uh, and the medical student I presume didn't have a lot of training, how much training did each of them receive and did you see a difference? Yeah, so each sonographer reviewed visualization and marking procedure prior to the initiation of the study. Aaron had additional training in emergency and advanced emergency ultrasound beyond what we typically receive in PEM fellowship. And at the time, I had completed a beginner ultrasonography course 
and Krisha, our medical student, had done a two-day ultrasonography course. But there have been multiple studies that sort of look at the identification of LP landmarks, and they're very easily identifiable. And we had each person perform at least five practice scans prior to being involved in the study, and I think that was sufficient. Um, in addition, we also sort of looked at the success of LPs per sonographer as well as success per individual sonographer over time throughout the study and did not see a difference in success rates. And were the people who were actually doing the lumbar punctures trained on ultrasound-guided LPs? Yeah, so the people performing the LPs were not sort of involved with the ultrasound marking. So they, based on the crosshairs, based on the target sign, would perform their lumbar puncture per sort of their standard technique, except that they had to go to that space for their first attempt. Awesome. And then um, hit us with the results. Yeah, so our overall success on first attempt uh, was greater for the ultrasound arm. It was about 58, 60% versus the traditional arm, which was 31%. And then our overall success, which we defined a priori as within three attempts, was greater for the ultrasound arm, about 75% versus the traditional arm, 44%. So I think our, our baseline success rates traditionally were a little bit low, but definitely not without of the realm that's sort of been reported in the literature. And we also looked at uh, overall attempts, and there was one less overall attempt that was done in the ultrasound arm as opposed to the traditional arm. So one attempt versus two attempts in the traditional arm. Awesome. And then you also had some secondary outcomes that you measured. Did you see any difference between the two groups and those? Yeah. So we looked at overall hospitalization rates, antibiotic use, and length of stay. And we definitely did not see any difference in terms of length of antibiotic exposure uh, or lengths of stay. But at the time, every infant under 60 days was being admitted. Now, if you have a sepsis workup and it's negative and you have no risk factors and you're between 30 to 60 days of age, you could potentially be discharged home. So I wonder if the admission rates might be different now if we were to perform the study. Uh, and then overall, there were about eight patients in the traditional arm versus two patients in the ultrasound arm that required repeat lumbar punctures while inpatient. Right. And it said it, it looked like one of those wasn't even your fault. It seemed like the patient uh, decompensated uh, before you even got started. Correct. Correct. And so one of the major criticisms of the paper was that the failure rate was so high, almost 70 percent, um, that one could argue that the improvement that you saw would have not been as substantial if the failure rate were lower. Yeah, so I think our failure rate shows that it partially has to do with our academic setting and what we were talking about earlier. In our group, about 4% of LPs were performed by trainees without any prior experience at all. And nearly 50% were performed by trainees with limited prior experience defined as 1 to 10 LPs. And then 90% of the first attempts were performed by trainees in general. So I think our success rates is sort of a marker of uh, the prior data that have shown that residents just aren't getting this experience and aren't getting this exposure to such a vital procedure. Sure. Uh, in one of the previous studies talked about increasing user confidence. Did you hear any, even I'm sure you didn't actually measure it, but did you hear anybody uh, mention that they felt either more confident or that they had an easier time with it knowing where to go? Yeah, I think, you know, we talked about this in our limitations and saying that uh, there may be sort of this bias that uh, having this marking site may make the practitioners be more comfortable with the spot. 
and feel more confident in their ability to obtain CSF. And so one of my biggest regrets is that in the palpation arm, we didn't have someone mark the spot based on palpation, because I think that would have been really interesting to sort of look at uh, whether or not the marking sort of contributed to the success or was it actually the identification of the ultrasound. I think they also get additional information such as the the termination of the conus and the depth of the canal, which would not have been available to the palpation arm. And, and did you guys measure how long it took to do the ultrasound? Yeah, so we actually did measure that. We had our research coordinators timing from the probe contact to the skin marking and the average time for the over 60 patients that we had randomized to the ultrasound arm took just over five minutes. And then if you factor in other things like finding the ultrasound, setting it up, it probably took a max of about 10 minutes. What surprised you? You know, I was a bit surprised at how low our overall initial success rate was, but it's not outside the realm of what is reported in the literature. And then I was also sort of surprised at the parental response to the intervention. You know, when we were consenting families, parents were hoping to be in the ultrasound group, even though they were explicitly told that this was being researched. And I think that sort of speaks to, you know, the utility of ultrasound and how we could potentially use this in future procedures. Yeah, and I feel like we don't talk about that one enough. The uh, the secondary gain of using ultrasound, uh, especially in such like a, a scary time for the family. Totally. And this is a bit uh, outside of the scope of the study that you performed, but in the literature, there's described a dynamic oblique approach to doing live ultrasound guidance, where you actually watch your needle go into the intervertebral space. I have tried to do it a couple of times, never on an infant, and never with any success. Is this something you've tried before? I have not. I think that it potentially could be interesting, but I also think that the nature of the emergency room makes that quite difficult. You know, our infants in general are held down for the procedure, and a lot of the success is dependent on the skill of the holder. And I think that doing something that requires such a small space dynamically would be a lot more difficult. Uh, That was totally my experience. I am going to use that as an excuse. And then so how should the general practitioner out in the community emergency department use this study? So I think that uh, potentially if you have limited experience in infant LP and you have more experience, which a lot of our emergency medicine providers do in ultrasound, teach yourself how to look for the landmarks, mark the conus, and use it as a technique if you are unsuccessful on attempts or you feel that you're just not as experienced in infant ultrasound and potentially could benefit your patient. Uh, So what's next? Do you have any other big projects coming up? Yeah, so uh, I recently had published a paper this past year looking at the variability and where people uh, mark for their LP insertion site. And we recently published that. And what we sort of looked at is we looked at trainees versus attendings and where they would pick for their first attempt. And what we sort of found is that trainees are more likely in about 55 to 60% of cases to mark a spot lower than the attending or more caudally. And I think what this sort of says is, again, that potentially ultrasound uh, has an additional benefit so you can mark the conus and feel safe where you're going. Dave Kessler of Columbia also looked at this recently and found that when people attempted LP, you could go at least one spot higher in 80% of cases and at least two spots higher in 40% of cases. 
Oh, um, I would not have expected that. I I think I'm probably one of those people. I must not be uh, going high enough. Yeah, I think knowing where the the conus terminates and seeing it on an ultrasound sort of provides you with that confidence to attempt going higher. Well, if we've learned anything today, it is that I need to dial in my lumbar puncture game. Well, so thank you, Dr. Neal, for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thanks so much, Tama, for having me. I really appreciate it. Just before we finish out, there have been a few other RCTs looking at the same topic, and there were obviously differences in methods and limitations, but without getting into the nitty-gritty, David Kessler et al. published a study back in 2018 in Academic Emergency Medicine, which looked at about 80 infants, and although they didn't see a statistical significance in the improvement of first-time success rates with ultrasound, uh, they did note that ultrasound affected the proceduralist behavior about 68% of the time, and that included changing interspaces about 30% of the time. Michael Gorn et al. also published an RCT in Academic Emergency Medicine back in 2017, consisting of 44 patients, and they found an improvement from 82% success rate to 100% success rate using ultrasound. And so there you have it. If you perform ultrasound for your infant LPs, you could possibly increase your success rates to 100%. Uh, But remember, if you do it on infants, you are not just looking for the intervertebral space, but also for where the conus terminates. This could influence whether or not you move up or down in interspace, and also the depth to the thecal sac. Infants are tiny, and your LP target is even tinier, and this could help us decrease the amount of traumatic taps we have. That's our show today. I want to thank Dr. Jeffrey Neal again for being such an awesome guest. Uh, We had a couple of technical catastrophes during the recording, and he rolled with those punches like a champ. And thank you so much for listening. On a personal note, I had a few people call me out on missing November's episode after my promise to keep it monthly in October. I'm so sorry. The end of 2019 was full, to say the least, for my family in all the best and not-so-best ways. Uh, And know that I'm really trying to stick to a schedule with these things. I'm just so inefficient. This episode took me about 20 hours to produce, and that's probably surprising based on how short it was, but I wish that was an exaggeration. I may have to change the format going forward to stick to a more regular schedule, And so if you have thoughts either way, I'd love to hear them. Uh, You can email me at the email that's in the show notes and let me know how it goes. If you do do an ultrasound guided LP, uh, let me know if it worked out for you. Otherwise, we'll see you next time.